good evening. So nice to see everyone out this evening. You notice what the question that uh, was just read? David asking about his son. Very simple question. Is the young man safe? By way of introduction, the bond that a parent and a child has is something special. It is a precious bond. It is a relationship that is deep. It is abiding. It is strong. There are few that compare to it in this world, in our lives. We can look at it in many different ways, but it's very common to see a parent put the well-being the concerns of their child in front of their own. Just a small example of that is if you've ever noticed in restaurants, while while folks might be eating, a child might not have enough or want something else, and you'll see a parent take food from their plate, put on the child's plate, to be sure they have enough. Just a minor example. But it's common that the parents want their child's well-being seen to. And this bond, it is indeed strong. It is so strong that this bond will withstand almost any circumstance that comes upon it. One of the key things, one of the key tenets of this relationship, of this bond, of this love, is the safety and the security of that child. Suffice it to say, I believe as a parent, this is one of the primary things you're worried about. Is my child safe? Just in the past few weeks, we've had some storms come through the area. We've had some flooding take place. You know what I did? I pulled out our little mechanical, our little handy electronic devices. I looked at the radar and I said, what's going on in Henderson, Tennessee? Because that's where my child was. I text my child, hey, are you okay? I just saw some storms go through. Is everything good? Yes, it's good. Safety and security of our child is tenor. And so tonight, when we look at the relationship between David and Absalom, we're going to talk about this a little bit. You may be thinking, this is going to be strange, Brother Jamie. (laughs) Because when we think about David and Absalom, not your typical relationship of parent and child. But go with me as we look at this. Now there's one other thing that I want to say before we get into the lesson. While we talk about this and while we look at this, keep in your mind that no matter how strong that bond is, how deep our love is between parent and child, when we compare that to how much God loves us, it is a very sad comparison. It pales to say the least. So for tonight's lesson, we're going to look at three different things. First of all, we're going to examine the life of Absalom. Secondly, we're going to look at the love that David had for that child. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the the love of God and how it extends to us. So let's start. When we talk about the lives of Absalom, we're going to look at a couple of things. First and foremost, just some characteristics of his life. They're not going to be flattering, I'll tell you up front. He was a murderer. We won't beat around the bushes here. We know that there was an incident with his brother Amnon and his sister Tamar. Amnon had ravished 
her. Not a good situation in and of itself, but Absalom adds to it because he took the law into his own hand. He became a vigilante. And he killed his brother. And not only did he kill him, but he harbored this hatred in his heart to perpetrate this deed for over two years. So the first characteristic of his life is murder. And when we think about that, it was indeed murder. It was not an act of passion that that I just got upset because you did this to my daughter. First and foremost, when it happened and, and, and Tamar came to Absalom, he said, Now you have you can't you gotta keep this quiet. Chapter thirteen and verse number twenty. Before we get too far, I will ask you, open your Bibles, because for time's sake I can't read all these verses to you, but it would be really good for you to follow along because we're gonna start in chapter thirteen and we're gonna end up over about chapter eighteen. So as we're going along, I do invite you to to, to follow along with us. So in verse number 20, Absalom says to Tamar, you you know, keep this to yourself. Keep silent. This was a problem. This, This was an obstruction of justice because if she didn't proclaim it, then King David, he couldn't exact the justice that was required. Now, granted, Absalom may not have agreed with the law because the law says in Deuteronomy as it addresses this exact situation, that the punishment is you pay the dowry, you take the girl to be your wife forever. So Absalom may not have liked the law, but it was the law. But he was a vigilante. He obstructed justice. His heart was filled with hatred. You look in verse number 22 and then go on down to verse number 32, the Bible shows us this. It says in verse number 22 that uh, he didn't speak about uh, his brother Amnon, neither good or bad. But he hated him. He hated him for what he did to his sister. And then you go on and down to verse number 32, and you can see that that hatred just sat there. And for years, for years, he planned planned the killing of his brother. So not only was he an obstructor of justice, his heart filled with hatred, he was a deceiver. Because when the opportunity presented itself, chapter 13, verse number 24, he had his sheep shearers in the area. And so he used this as as an opportunity to deceive, to get close to Amnon so that he could perpetrate this deed. Oh, we have the sheep shearers. It's time for us to have the big feast and get together. And so that's how he got close to his brother, deceiving King David when he asked for everyone to come and be with him. Because it wasn't just for the feast. He had, obviously, ulterior motives here. And obviously, he was a killer. You look down at verses number 28 through 33, and the Bible describes for us how he perpetrated this crime against his brother, how he killed his brother. We'll look at verse number 28. It says, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon then kill him. Don't be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous. Be valiant. So the servants did of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom said. He was a murderer. Not only was he a murderer, but he was exiled. Because of this crime that he committed against his brother, he was exiled. He was out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, you can see in verse number 34 that he fled because he knew he had committed a crime. He knew the murder that he had committed. 
And this fleeing took him over to the land of Geshur, where he spent three years in exile from Jerusalem, away from his home, away from his family. Then after these three years, with the assistance of Joab, he was able to gain entry back into Jerusalem, but there was limitations. King David said he could come back, but he's got to stay in his house. And he can't see me as the king. So essentially he was in house arrest for the next two years. So a murderer that was sent out into exile. And then we see the next aspect of his life, blackmail. So after he's been in this exiled state for about five years, he, he's, he's fed up, let's say. And he calls for, for Joab and, and wants him to go before the king and make intercession on his behalf. Well, Joab doesn't comply. He sends for him again. Joab doesn't come again. So what does Absalom do? He says to a servant, he says, there, right next to our property, there's Joab's property. Go burn his crops. Do you think that got Joab's attention? Unquestionably, it got his attention. So he comes and he sees uh, Absalom and, and, and what are you doing? Why did you destroy my crops? And it was also that he wanted Joab to go and plead his case before the king that he might be restored to his relationship. But notice one thing. Look there in chapter 14 at verse number 32 and notice the attitude of Absalom. Absalom answered Joab, look, I sent to you saying, come here so that I may send you to the king and say, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now notice this next statement. Now therefore, let me see the king's face, but if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. Absalom felt he was justified. I've done nothing wrong. Well, let's see. You killed your brother. You destroyed the crops of the captain of the king. But he says, if there's iniquity, then, then let him execute me. This speaks a little bit to Absalom and his character. But Joab does. He goes to the king, gets an audience of Absalom with the king, and at the end, Absalom is, is kind of restored back to his, his previous condition. But then he goes into the next part of his life that we want to look at, which is a part of treason. So after he's restored and able to get out of his house, he goes out and he stands at the gates of the city. And as people are coming into the city, bringing their lawsuits, bringing their complaints, he starts to slander his father, create hatred against David, starting to build this treason to overthrow him. He, he stands at the gates and he tells the citizens that, oh, oh, what's your case? Where are you from? Oh, uh, that's a really good case and you would probably win it, but you know what? King David hasn't made any provisions to hear you today, so you're not going to get any justice here. Oh, but you know what? If I was in charge, hey, things would be a lot better. When people tried to pay tribute to him, he wouldn't let them play tribute. He'd take their hands and he'd kiss them. He would honor them on the contrary. So Absalom was on this treasonous path. The Bible says to us there in, in chapter 15 and verse number 6, it says he stole the heart of the people. Stole it away from King David. And folks, consider how big this really is. 
for the people reverenced David. They honored David. They adored David from the time of Goliath. You remember the song, Saul killed his thousands, David his... They loved King David. So the fact that, that Absalom was able to steal those people's hearts away is no small feat. Finally, Absalom goes back to the king and says, you know, I, I need to leave. I need to take a trip because when I was in exile, I made this vow. And this vow said if I was to come back to Jerusalem, then I needed to go make a sacrifice. So he was allowed to do that there in chapter 15, verses 7 through 8. But when he was given this leave, He wasn't going to make a sacrifice. He was continuing to plant the seeds of treason. He was mustering his forces, creating the revolt against David. You look at chapter 15, verse number 10, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, and saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Treason. Treason. He led this rebellion. And he did what nobody else had been able to do. He took David from the throne. And he drove David out of Jerusalem. Chapter 15 and verse 14. So David and all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem said, Arise and flee so that we can escape from Absalom. But after this initial success came very apparent that all the people hadn't forsaken David. As they were trying to leave, he was telling them that they didn't need to go, but some said, I'm going where you're going, king. Whether it's in life or whether it's in death, I'm going with you. You go on down to verses 27 through 29 and 32 through 36, you see King David planting spies back in Absalom's inner court. He he sent Zadok and his two sons, Hushai and Abathar, infiltrating the ranks of Absalom. So eventually the armies of David and Absalom met on the field of battle. Chapter 18. It was a great conflict. A large war. 20,000 people fell in the forest of Ephraim. So that's the last piece. Let's call it next to the last piece of Absalom's life that we'll look at is the war that he waged on his father. But then in the end, he died. As the war didn't go his way because David's troops were better trained or better led, uh, Absalom came into contact with some of David's men and he went to flee. And as he was fleeing, his hair, which was something that he was very vain over, caught in the terebinth tree and hung him between the heaven and the earth, it says. And one of the, the folks that saw him came back to Joab. And Joab said, I can't linger with you anymore. He took three spears in his hand and he thrust them through Absalom's heart. And while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And then the ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. So that's the life of Absalom in a very short period of time. You look at that life and and you consider how his life played out in relation to his father, to King David... And you look at the words on the screen and say, the love of David? And you might want to scratch your head and say, really? Remember what we said. That bond is strong. Absalom had his great disgrace to his father. He would have sacrificed him. He went to war trying to kill him. 
to satisfy his own ambitions. But yet we'll see in just a second that David's love never failed his son. It never failed him. First of all, we go back to chapter 13 and verse number 7. You remember at about that time period after killing Amnon, he was exiled. Here's how King David felt about that. Chapter 30, uh, verse number 37 said that David mourned for his son every day. Every day he mourned over Absalom. It goes on and says in verse number 39 that he longed to be with him. Yeah, his son had done and committed a dastardly deed, but he loved him. He mourned over him. He wanted to be with him. It goes on and says in chapter 14 and verse number 1 that his heart was heavy. His heart was burdened over this concern for his son. So much so that his captain, Joab, saw this. And Joab then made an intercession, and it was more so on David's behalf than Absalom's behalf, but he made an intercession that allowed Absalom to be uh, pulled back, to, to come back from his exile. So David was unquestionably grieved over being apart from his son. But we also see in this, in this account forgiveness. Even in the pleading that, that, that Joab perpetrates through the woman there, we see that, that David does have forgiveness in his heart. That he was willing to bring his son back from ex- exile. Verse number 21. Not only bring him back, but in, in verse number 11, chapter 14, he talks about um, removing the punishment that honestly Absalom deserved. You see, Joab had this woman go to King David and use another parable, if you will, to convince him to let Absalom back. And the parable was that her two sons had fought with one another and one had killed the other. And the community wanted the killer to be back so that the avenger of blood could take their vengeance. And so she was pleading her case with King David. And we get down to verse 11 and he he says... Or she says, let the king remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy anyone lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair on your son shall fall to the ground. And so she goes on to expose after David kind of smells something fishy here that yes, Joab had asked her to make this speech and yes, this is about you and Absalom. So he removed the punishment that was deserved. We see in chapter 14 and verse number 33 after Joab's second intercession on behalf of Absalom that he was restored to that full relationship insomuch that it says when he was before the king that Absalom bowed down and the king kissed him. So there was forgiveness evident in David's heart even though he knew the evil deed that Absalom had done. And we see mercy in the love of David. For you see, after all of the treason that Absalom committed against King David, raising up armies against him, deposing him from his throne, running him out of Jerusalem, the battle is about ready to begin. And you know what David says to his three captains? He says, deal gently with the young man for my sake. After all he had done, 
after deserving a severe and harsh treatment, David still pleaded that they deal gently with his son. So the battle went on. David waited to see what was going on, what the result would be, anxious over the outcome. And as the messenger came toward David, and then another, David asked a question. And it's the question that we read earlier. Is the young man Absalom safe? This is remarkable. Because we're talking about the king in a battle for his kingdom, trying to win back his throne, trying to gain back his city. And folks, let's not forget, this isn't just an ordinary king. This is a king that God himself had put on the throne. But what was important to David? He didn't ask about the outcome of the battle. He didn't ask about how many people had died. He didn't ask if he had won his throne back. He asked, Is my son safe? The answer came. And it told the story. The Cushite answered, May the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. No. Absalom was not safe. He was dead. And David's heart, broken. He mourned. He mourned deeply for his son that had been lost. He shed tears. He wished it had been him that had died. You look at 2 Samuel 18.33. It says, And the king was deeply moved, and he went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O my son, O Absalom, my son, my son. You can see beyond a shadow of doubt the broken heart of David. And it is amazing. After all this child had done, that he still loved him so much that he said, I wish it was me. I told you, that bond is strong. But, now let's think about the love of God and how much he loves us. You see, one of the the first things we talked about with Absalom and David and how much David loved him was that separation. Them being apart. So we have to be considerate and understand that when we have sin in our lives, when we don't take care of it, when we harbor it, it separates us from God. The Bible says plainly, he who knows to do good and he does it not, that's sin. The book of Romans says that the wages of that sin is death. That's that separation. That's what keeps us from a good and right and strong and close relationship with God. That's sin. We're separated. We're lost. 
the Bible talks about God and his, his appreciation for when that which is lost is found. So that demonstrates for us just how deep his grief is, is by the magnitude of the joy when one is found. You look in Luke 15, one of our, our favorite passages, the parables that talks about uh, those that are lost. You remember the, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Notice a few things about them that kind of speaks to this level of caring. Notice the urgency of the search. The sheep, when it was lost, he left 99 to find that one. The coin, when it was lost, the house was torn upside down to use our vernacular until it was found. The urgency was there. Secondly, you look at the joy when the, 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 the recovery is made. There's celebration. I found the sheep. Everyone come celebrate. I sound the coin. Everyone come celebrate. So much joy that the Bible tells us that there is joy in the presence of the angels when that one is found. That which is lost is found. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in faith. So there is joy in God's heart when we are found, when we are close with Him. He has mercy and forgiveness for us. His desire is that everyone be saved. His desire to forgive men is unlimited. You look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You go to John chapter 3 and verse number 15. He says that whoever believes in Him should not perish but should have eternal life. And when He gave the, gave the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, He said to them, Go to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He wants everyone to be saved. And not only does He want them to be saved, and His his forgiveness is unlimited, it's complete. It removes every bit of our sin. You look at 1 John 1 and verse number 9. If we confess our sins, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? From all unrighteousness. Ephesians 11 in verse number 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 2 and verse number 13. In you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him and having forgiven all trespasses. God's forgiveness and mercy is complete. Not only is His mercy complete, but it is very, very rich toward us. You look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with with Jesus. By grace you have been saved. And then in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, But with the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Not only does He have that forgiveness and mercy in His heart, but His love is so rich that it's made us heirs. 
He's made us his children. You look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and you look at Romans 8, verses um, 17 and 18. It says, But what manner of love that God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it's yet to be revealed what we shall be, but when we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. And then in Romans chapter number 8, verse number 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And if you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Folks, He made us His children through His love. But at the end of the day, there is no greater love than this. He gave His Son. He gave Jesus. John 3.16 He loved the world so much, He gave His only begotten Son. 1 John 4, verse number 8 He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we may live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we're back where we started. Is the young man safe? We saw and started this lesson talking about the bond of a parent and a child and just how strong that is. And I think we saw that as we studied about David and Absalom. We, we studied that relationship. We, we noted the wickedness of Absalom, but we also noted the unending and enduring love of David. But then in the end, we see just how much greater God's love is for us. That He was willing for His Son... His only begotten Son, to come down to this earth, suffer, die, shed His blood so that you, so that I, can be safe. So where are you tonight? Are you safe? If not, why don't you make, make it so? Make it safe. Come forward as Brother Leonard leads us in our imitation song.